0: Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the wonderful things in your word. That we would take these truths that Paul proclaimed and that you would apply them to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life can be compared to a runner. I like to think of a cross-country runner who sets out to begin the race, continues on in the race, facing many obstacles and challenges, but perseveres in the midst of the race by striding it out. And they put one foot in front of the other until they finally finish the race that they Began, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I was a cross country runner. I loved it. Right, we run individually, but but we competed as a team. Right, so you have, we had seven runners. We compete as five that actually place. And as we did so, even though we're running individually, and really what we do is what we do, uh, we were encouraged to press on by our teammates. Right, they would encourage us. They'd spur us on to keep going. And there were times when our opponents would would try to take us off track. Runners would try to cut in on our path as we're heading in a certain direction. And then there were times where you faced very great challenges and suffering. I remember my first race. We were in Eldora. We were in Eldora, Iowa, on their golf course, and you encounter what they called Jaws, this so is my first race ever. You encounter jaws. The, the golf course literally went like this. It was a hill and uh, one big jaws where you, you got to go down the hill and immediately up a hill and hopefully you can make it out alive. Well, anyway, I got through the race with a broken ankle, but I managed to finish the race. Threw up at the end and then I And then I couldn't walk anymore after that, but I made it. And that was my first experience with my first race ever. You see, that's a lot like the Christian life and our Christian experience. In our passage this morning, Paul is going to draw our attention to our experiences, to our experience in conversion, to our experience with Christ and with the Holy Spirit and with God the Father. He's going to show us that how we started the race is the same way that we actually continue on in the race and ultimately complete that race. Within the context of this passage, Paul has stated that we are justified, right? We're declared to be in a right relationship with God and right standing before God by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, not by our religious performance, not by observance By observing the law, not by being circumcised, not by following certain food laws. Only through faith in Jesus Christ is one accepted by God and belongs to the people of God. And so Paul defends this truth and applies it to their lives in several ways. And he first begins with their experience. He looks at their own conversion to Christianity to show that we are right with God through faith in Christ and not through what we do. And therefore, the the counterfeit message that they were hearing from their opponents, who were then seeking to add to the gospel in order to be saved and justified, must be rejected. And so he begins by looking at the human experience. He considers our conversion as evidence that we, by faith, as evidence that we began by faith, we continue on, through faith, by faith, and were completed by faith in Christ. And therefore, justification, right, being right with God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he makes this appeal in, in defense of this truth by asking several questions. So first, we see a question about turning from Christ. A question about turning from Christ. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So as Paul now transitions to this new section, in which he is applying the gospel to, their, to the lives of his audience, you, you can feel you can feel the emotional appeal that he makes here, and the urgency in these words, in the way that he addresses them with these questions, and in what he asks. He says, Oh foolish Galatians!" We might say to a child who is acting out of line with their behavior, they do something that shocks us or just really upsets us, and we respond with, what are you doing? That's how I respond. What are you doing? You know better. How foolish. These believers were acting foolishly. They weren't thinking right at all. It's not that they weren't intelligent. They were intelligent people. But rather, they weren't using sound judgment. This past summer, my, my family and I, we, uh, we went to the Iowa State Fair. I think I told you I, we were going there. We went to the Iowa State Fair this past summer to go to a concert. And while we're there, I'm not sure if anyone else is like me, but when I go to the fair, I am overcome by this strong craving for Food. Like, do they really have to put those places like one right after the other? Food after everything's fried and, and the donuts. You gotta have the donuts. I gotta have the donuts. But Becky reminds me that the food is really expensive. The food is really expensive at the fair. Well, I'm not thinking about that in the moment. I'm not using sound judgment, and so she reminds me that you don't have to get everything. I am being fooled by my cravings and what I want and not thinking properly. But definitely, definitely the donuts. I gotta have the donuts. But Becky says, no more donuts, Sean. You can buy donuts from Matt. You see, We often get into trouble when we aren't using our head, but when we do things based on how we feel or what everyone else is doing. The Galatians were being foolish. They were not thinking rightly. They were giving in to a counterfeit message. They weren't using their head, so to speak. But at the same time, it's not only head, is it? We know that. It's not only head. Following Jesus is not just a matter of the mind, of the intellect, of of just knowing certain facts with no experience. It's not that either. It's both, right? It's, It's head and heart, intellect and emotion. Paul will actually refer to their experience with Christ and their experience of conversion as a reason why they shouldn't give in to the false teachers. So why does he call them foolish? He then asks, Who has bewitched you? I don't know how common it is today, but when high school students attend prom, one of the attractions or one of the events that used to be popular anyway is that they would have a hypnotist present i don't know if they still do that high schoolers they still do that maybe they have a hypnotist that is present and and he would hypnotize people and get the students to do outrageous outlandish things i i was always stunned by this i was stunned by it i thought it was pretty funny right The the things people do you think it's pretty funny well and i was also confused by it as a kid as well were the kids just faking it are they really like are they just faking it How could they be under that kind of spell? That's what I asked and, and wondered. Well, that's the imagery that Paul actually uses here in this passage. To bewitch someone was to cast a spell on, or it was like hypnotizing them. It meant to give someone an evil eye to cast a spell over. Tom Schreiner says that magic attracted people in the ancient world for it promised control over their lives in an uncertain world. Paul uses the coinage of the day to express his astonishment at the Galatians' fascination with circumcision. It is as if a magician has cast a spell over them, preventing them from seeing what is blatantly obvious, that is, the significance of the cross of Christ. It was as if a magician or a hypnotist, had had them under his control and influence. It it grabbed their attention. It held their attention. Well, this sort of thing actually still happens in churches today. Perhaps because of what they promise. We hear things like, follow these rules or principles and you'll have your best life now. Or, put these programs in place and you'll have a bigger, better ministry in your church. Or, Whatever it might be, right? The promise of power, the promise of pleasure, the promise of a pain-free life, if you just follow these five simple steps. And Paul is astonished. He is astonished that someone has, has them under a spell. And so he draws their attention back to Jesus and their experience with Christ. Their eyes are now to be fixed upon Jesus if he is going to break this hypnotic, state. And so he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The truth of the gospel was clearly seen. I don't know how often you go to big cities, right? We don't have very many big cities around here, but but when you do, you see these Large, there's billboards everywhere, okay? these large billboards are all over the place. And you can't help but notice them. You can't help but have your eyes directed toward them, to see them, to read them, and then also to figure out what's being communicated behind them and what's being communicated through it. Well, Paul is saying here that the significance of Christ and him crucified was vividly communicated as though on a large billboard when he proclaimed the gospel to them, The point is not that he used pictures, but that the announcement, the, the content of the message itself, was a graphic, public display of the crucified Christ when he preached to them. In an unforgettable way, Paul proclaimed the good news of Jesus, of his suffering, of his death, and of the significance of his work on the cross. It's as though he is saying, How can you give in to a message that takes you away from Christ by adding requirements to salvation when you saw so clearly Jesus Christ crucified, plastered on a billboard? How can you move beyond him and add your good works to make you acceptable to God when on that cross he cried out, It is finished! And then curtain torn in two from top to bottom. The dead are raised to life. His work on the cross with his outstretched arms as he bears the weight of your sin, the weight of your guilt, the weight of your, your punishment, your condemnation that we deserve becomes the only means in which God the Father, the Father can then stretch out his arms to welcome you into his family. When you go through times of trial, when you go through times of difficulty, times of despair, times of doubt, when you go through various times where you lack spiritual discernment, like the Galatians, when we act foolishly, Paul is calling us to turn our eyes to Jesus, not away from him, but to Jesus and to the cross of Christ. And that's how the Galatians would overcome and could overcome some of their challenges. Second, we see now a question about starting the Christian life. A question about starting the Christian life. Paul now gets to the ultimate question and issue in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul now directs their thoughts to the manner in which they received the Spirit. He wants them to recall how they received the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He wants to hear it from them because they can't deny their experience and what actually took place. The reception of the Spirit is a way of of describing their conversion and the beginning of the Christian life. Receiving the Spirit was was tied to one's initial entrance into, into the people of God, which showed that they were accepted by God and belong to God. According to Acts 10, While Peter was proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The Jewish believers who saw it were amazed, right? So the gospel now comes to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. The Jewish believers are amazed. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have, and here's what he says, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So the Spirit is received at the beginning of the Christian life. Now, how does this come about? How does one receive the Spirit? So Paul's basically asking this. How was it that you entered into Christ the first, in the first place? How was it that you were converted and belonged to the people of God? How did you start the Christian life? That's what he's asking. How did you start the Christian life? Was it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, implied answer at least, by hearing with faith. They believed what they heard. They heard the good news about Jesus and his death on the cross for them, and what did they do? They believed it. Reception of the Holy Spirit came by hearing with faith and not by doing good works, not by our law-keeping, not by our religious performance, right? Your religious performance that you did or do, That's not how you receive the Holy Spirit. This is is the way we were saved and are saved and justified and declared right with God and accepted by God and belong to God and are adopted by him. It is through hearing the message of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection for us, and then believing in him. It is hearing that God is holy and our sin has separated us from God. We are deserving of His wrath. But God sent His Son to live an obedient life and to die on a cross for us. He took the penalty that you and I deserve and He rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death so that all who repent of their sins and place their faith in Him as their Lord and Savior receive the Holy Spirit who guarantees the promise of eternal life. And so... We believed it. We believe it. We trust in the gospel of Christ and not in our works. And we're converted. And therefore, our own experience of conversion proves that we are already right with God. They receive the Spirit long before these opponents, these Judaizers, tried to convince them to keep the law. They simply trusted in Jesus Christ and what he had done for them and for us on the cross. The Christian life begins by faith in Christ. The Christian life continues by faith in Christ. And the Christian life is completed by faith in Christ. This this leads us to our third point. We see a question about finishing the Christian life. A question about finishing the Christian life. How do you continue on then, right? If we begin by faith in Christ, how do you continue on and finish and complete this race? Notice verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Paul, he now draws our attention to the work of the Holy Spirit and our experience with the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we can think of the work of the Holy Spirit is by considering an illustration of a house and that house being our lives, okay? So think of a house and, our, and the house is really our lives. When you become a Christian, when you heard the good news of Jesus and believed in Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. He's allowed access into your life, in, in your life. He comes to live within you. It, it's, it's, it's moving in day, Right? He moves in. It's moving in day of this house. This happens once. He enters into your life at a certain point in time. You've moved into this house on a certain day. Okay. The Holy Spirit moves into the house by faith. Right. So we can think of a new birth taking place. Justification now. We're justified at that point in time. The Holy Spirit now dwells in this house. And then... It's time for renovations and redecorating that house. It's time for the renovations and redecorating to begin. He is not content to remain at the door or just get in. I'll put all the boxes right at the front door, in the door, and then I'm out. He's not content to do that. The Holy Spirit will begin this process of renovating this house to make it beautiful from the inside out. This happens over a period of time, and it's a gradual process. When you look at house renovations, I'm guessing that they weren't done in one day. I'm guessing they weren't. Pretty remarkable if they are. Most people don't do the entire house all at once, but over a long period of time. Over a period of time, as you live in the house longer and longer, what do we do? Right? You see things that need to get fixing up. You see things that you'd like to improve, and you see certain things that, you know, I'd like to make that more about what I'm about, since it belongs to me. Well, in a similar way, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives as he conforms us to the image of Christ. And in this renovation process, the question is, how does this take place? Right? How, does he, how does he work in and renovate these areas in our lives or these various rooms or the kitchen or whatever it might be? How about that closet that needs to get done, that hidden room? How does he do that? That's the question. Do we allow the Spirit to change us by faith in Christ, which is the way he entered our lives, or do we go a different route and then renovate this house by the flesh? Do we grow spiritually by the Spirit, or by the flesh? That's the question that Paul poses for his audience. Like the runner, is the step to becoming a Christian different than the step to being a Christian and growing in Christ? In other words, are we sanctified, right? To use theological terms, are we sanctified, progressively becoming more and more like Jesus, by human effort and observance of the law, of Moses, or by the Spirit, by hearing with faith? Answer, in case you don't know, answer, the way we grow in Christ is by the Spirit and not by our works, not by our own effort in trying to keep the law. The Holy Spirit renovates our lives as we continue to trust in Jesus each and every day the Galatians were going a different route. They were falling into a works-based righteousness that required Old Testament law-keeping to maintain their right status with God, that they must do the law. They must do the law in order to belong to the people of God. For them, circumcision, right? Circumcision was the issue for the Galatians. It was a misguided attempt and approach to make progress in the Christian life. It was based on the flesh instead of the spirit. The Galatians were buying into a message that basically said, you must let Moses finish what Jesus began. Now think about that. You must let Moses finish what Jesus began. But Paul teaches us here that the Christian life follows the same course, whether the issue is becoming a Christian or being a Christian. So Paul Now asks, and speaking of their Christian life, if what they experienced was in vain. If in this race called the Christian life, if they started well, right? They started well, they're continuing on, and then they give in to the false teachers, then what they experienced was for nothing. It would have been empty and futile. Notice verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So Paul Paul acknowledges that at one point they suffered many things. This could also be translated experienced. The Christian Standard Bible translates it like this. Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So Paul is asking, was, was your Christian experience, suffering included, for nothing? Did they go through persecutions for nothing? At that time, based on How Paul and Barnabas were treated in that area when they brought the gospel, they would have they experienced various kinds of trials and and suffering. They were persecuted for their faith. This involved physical and, and verbal attacks. So you can imagine, you can imagine what Paul is saying. You accepted Jesus by faith. You came to believe in the good news that was preached to you. You took a stand for Jesus. In fact, you were persecuted for Jesus as you took your stand. People mistreated you, both physically and verbally. And now you decide to abandon it. You decide to join them. If you did this, then what you went through, all those hard times, what you went through was for nothing, it was in vain. We know this to be true when, when someone learns a new skill or hobby, or at least as parents, having a child learn a new skill or hobby. You have them practice and practice and practice and practice some more. It's difficult. It's painful. There's toil to it. But then what happens? They decide, you know what, I don't want to do it anymore. And they either give it up or they go back to the way they used to do it. And in some sense, what you feel, you, you feel like all that time and energy and experience was for nothing. I mean, there are certain other things that they might gain from it. But in some sense, you feel like, wow, that was for nothing. They didn't even continue on in it. And, and, and Paul, he makes his appeal, and certainly it was not in vain. As Paul helps them think about their life and their experiences, he draws their attention back to God's work among them. And in the final question, which is really the same general question that he asked in, in verse 2, is it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So fourth and finally, a question about God's provision and power among us. Is God's provision and power on display among us by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Notice verse 5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you And works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. This is the conclusion, right? This is the conclusion of these questions. It's an appeal for these believers to consider the questions that are being asked, to answer them personally for themselves and from their own experiences. And the answers are obvious. But Paul makes, Paul uses these questions to drive home his point. Students, students and, and adults that are here. Have you ever noticed that some of the best teachers, and you might, students might not realize this, some of the best teachers ask questions. They ask a lot of questions instead of just giving you the answer. That, that's a really good teacher. They ask you questions instead of just giving you the answer. Because what do they want to do? They want you to find out for yourself, right? They want you to find the answer and draw you to then answer it yourself. Because when you do answer it yourself, you believe it. You're like, oh, I got it. Well, that's what Paul has been doing throughout this section. And he closes again. He drives the same question home, right? He says it multiple times and in different ways. Verse, as in verse 2. So then, does God give you the Spirit and works miracles among you? Does he do this by your doing of the works of law? Or is it by believing what you heard? So Paul is saying, think about, think about your life. Think about what God has done in your life and is doing in your life. In Acts 14, in the cities of Galatia, a crippled man was healed. Unbelievers were saved. Lives were changed and transformed. They were released from those things that controlled them and once dominated their lives. All these things God did, God provided, and God demonstrated his power among them, and he worked miracles in these ways in their midst. God, the one who supplies the Spirit to you, which the Galatians received by believing what they heard when Paul proclaimed Christ crucified, and it was God, the one who worked miracles among them in so many different ways. God did these things, and how did it happen? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? The implied answer, of course, is by hearing with faith. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and his power at work in our midst is displayed among us as we continue to trust in Jesus Christ. The work of God in our midst is not due to our observance of the law Of works of the law, but by hearing the message of Jesus and believing in him. Because what does this reveal? What does this reveal? What does this do? It brings the focus to God. He gets the glory. He gets the glory for great things he has done. He is honored as we trust in him. So as we conclude, we might not, highly unlikely, we might not be prone to rely on circumcision or other laws that were given to the people of Israel to either gain or maintain a right status with God. But we may be prone to rely on our own human efforts We might be prone to rely on our religious performance. We might be tempted to focus on human achievements, human plans, and not trust in God. We could have a tendency to move away from the gospel and trust in our own efforts to grow as individuals and as a church. Possible. Maybe we are convinced that we started the Christian life by hearing the good news of Jesus and then believing in it. But what do our actions show as far as how we continue on in the Christian life? What if what if we relied upon God? What if we trusted in Christ and the work of the Spirit? To renovate our spiritual lives. What would that look like in practice? What would change? What would it look like to trust in God to provide for our needs and see Him at work in our midst? What would it look like to reach our area for the sake of Jesus? if we did so by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I suspect it would lead us to rely upon God, to pray. It would lead to a greater trust in Christ and His promises to grow His church and to sanctify us. I suspect it would lead us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, And it would lead us, I'm convinced, to turn our eyes to Jesus each and every day. We began the race by faith in Christ. We continue the race by faith in Christ. And the race will be completed by faith in Christ as the Spirit of God works and moves among us let's then constantly turn our eyes to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we turn our eyes to you. When we consider the billboard that is on display of Christ crucified, and we consider all that Jesus has done for us on the cross, how can we turn to anything else? how can we rely upon anything else we thank you lord that you have given us your spirit he's moved in i pray that he would move into everyone here those if there's anyone that hasn't trusted in jesus christ as our lord and savior that today he would move into their lives we give you thanks that he is for those who do believe in jesus that he has moved into our lives and i pray that he would do a renovating work even right now that we would allow him access into the deep parts of our soul. And I pray that we would recognize that this is your work. You are doing a marvelous work among us and in us, and we give you thanks for that. I pray that this would continue. Help us continue to rely upon Jesus. So would we focus our attention on him? Help us each and every day turn our eyes to him.